It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode, we're looking at the Portland Trailblazers and the New Orleans Pelicans, two teams who are fighting it out to try and get themselves into the NBA playoffs in the Orlando restart. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. it. Let's get to it indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. As I said today, we are looking at the Portland Trailblazers, the New Orleans Pelicans, where both of these teams stand prior to the NBA restart. So let's get stuck straight into it. And to talk about the Portland Trailblazers, I am joined by the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike Richmond is here with me. This Portland team, a lot of people uh, are picking those guys to jump into at least, at the very least, the ninth seed, if not uh, just get into the eighth seed outright, Mike. But it is going to be tough without any small forward on the roster at all. Yeah, having having literally no one at that position might be difficult, but they believe in skinny mellow they think carmelo anthony can play a bunch of minutes at small forward sounds like he's going to play basically every single minute he's on the court at small forward um that's never been a good plan with mellow in the last 15 years but we'll see that's that is true and yeah especially over the last three or four years it has not worked well they look to be fair they do have some other guys who can play small forward theoretically mario hazonia nasir little but both of those guys have struggled in their opportunities this year of course rodney hood and trevor ariza the guys that have manned that position all season won't be in orlando hood's out with the achilles injury ariza's out with uh, personal reasons so they could go with that smaller lineup for times as well, pushing CJ McCollum there and putting Gary Trent into the lineup. But it does appear that Mallow will be the small forward. And that means that we have a new power forward, and it's the uh, the old power forward. Zach Collins is back and ready to go. Yeah, the, the Blazers are going super big, and they're just deciding that Zach Collins is a full-time power forward despite a lot of appearances that he might be a center. But when you have two other centers on the roster, the, them's the breaks. I also do think Gary Trent Jr. is going to play a lot as in a three-guard lineup. So look for him a bunch at getting a bunch of minutes at yeah. small forward, but Collins is the guy at power forward. Um, I think they maybe go super big with a little bit of use of Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside, but that's probably more in small, small dosages. And I think we're going to just see a lot, a lot, a lot of Zach Collins, 30 plus minutes a night at that spot. Do you think he's ready for that? Considering he played just those three games back in October, hasn't played since. And those first three games were a little rough. And as you said, he is a center and they're kidding themselves. They think he is a full-time power forward. He can shoot a little bit. We haven't really seen massive evidence of that at NBA level. Um, do you think he's ready to play those 34 or five minutes or there's just really no other option? I, I, I tend towards there's really no other option. Because if you if you put Mello there, then you're really small and you can't rebound or defend particularly well. Like the trade-off isn't very good for like sizing down. So I think 
while we don't have a, enough of a sample size to say Zach Collins is, is like an NBA power forward, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that he's not. But I don't think as the roster is currently constructed that they have a better plan. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of Zach regardless. And they because he'll have a long enough leash where they're not going anywhere else. I think Zach Collins is a pretty good player, and I think he's got a future as an NBA starter, but I, I do agree that putting him at, at power forward full-time is not the best use of his talents. But as you mentioned, with two other centers there, getting those minutes is going to be tough. Now, Hassan Whiteside played 30-plus minutes this season, but he's probably not going to have that same opportunity here in Orlando because, of course, the other return is Yusuf Nurkic is back. Broke his leg last February, was on track for a return just before the hiatus, was just set to return a couple of days after the league shut down in March. So what are we expecting in terms of those two playing together? I've heard from a few different spots that Nurkic will probably come in as the starter and they'll he allegedly won't be on a minutes restriction, but they'll probably split minutes down the middle. What have you heard in regard to that center position? That's the word out of Blazer camp is that the starting lineup is Dame, CJ, Carmelo, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic, which does push Hassan Whiteside to the bench. A bit of a surprise to me because I thought maybe for ego protection reasons they would keep Hassan Whiteside in the starting lineup. But um, if he's down with it or if he has no other choice, that's the way they're going to do it. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic says he has no restrictions. Terry Stott says Yusuf Nurkic has no restrictions. Yusuf Nurkic's teammates keep raving about how good he looks. Um, you rarely hear guys say this dude looks terrible in practice. It's just not never. a very common thing. They never say so that. we were <laughs> So it wasn't like we were gonna ask in these, you know, Zoom calls with him like, you know, Nurk looks bad. So <laughs> there, what there that wasn't going to happen. But everything we hear is really positive. Rave reviews from his teammates, and it sounds like he's ready to roll and he says that he wants to play power forward. And he even said that he told Terry Stotts he was willing to play power forward thirty minutes a night next to Hassan Whiteside. Um, if you thought the Zach Collins thing was bad, that's worse. But the Blazers are going to be really big, and they're just going to lean into being really big at every single spot. So the thing that always happens, and we're so blessed this year that we've had two preseasons. So we've had two episodes of Muscle Watch and two episodes of um, the Big Man Shooting Three. Because this has been, we've heard about this from Nurkic so many times. <laughs> oh, right, no. He's stepping out. I don't know if it's him or Stephen Adams that has had more. This guy shoots so many threes in practices and then never does it at all in games. Is it is it possible? Are we going to see Stretch Nurk? I think he will shoot some threes just because of like if he plays alongside other bigs, where do you stand on the court? You know, there's some just sort of like geometry stuff. If he might be standing near the three-point line, so he might take a three-pointer. But I don't think he's going to launch. Like I don't think we're seeing three-plus attempts a game. I just think one of his maybe – you know, 20 foot jumpers, he kind of spaces a little further and turns it into a 23 and a half foot jumper. Uh, But in general, no, I don't think Nurk is a bomber. And I think it's, to me, it's bad because what Nurk, the Nurk's best skill is that he's a giant person. Mm. Um, And you want those giant people to be near the rim to get rebounds and score easy baskets and things like that. I think the closer he gets to the rim, it's better. Sorry for, sorry for the revolution. I, look, I agree. And he also has that ability that when he gets to the rim, he's a pretty strong finisher and he's a good passer out of those situations. Whereas if he is at the three-point line, this is a guy that's a, like a 5% career three-point shooter. Yes, on or 7%, sorry. I uh, undersold him a bit there. Yeah, yes. come on. That's like a that's a huge increase. That's like a 50% increase in his he's career. A, you know. He's three of 42 <laughs> over his career. And he hit those three in the last season that uh, in 18-19. He hit three threes. He took 29 attempts, but did hit three threes in that season. So I don't think if he's out there, that people are going to be like, oh, we've got to close out 
out, and then that opens up passing lanes for him, which again is one of his massive strengths, being able to, to be a really strong passer and bring other players into the game. Now, notorious um, uh, you know, mellow person and great teammate Hassan Whiteside, how do you think he'll respond to the to the benching that looks to be uh, ominous here? You know, there's two. I think there's two schools of thought here. There is one where Hassan Whiteside throws a pity party and just doesn't bring it. Um, he's he's known to have some sort of waning effort moments or sort of um, some just sort of commitment stuff that that maybe fluctuates here and there with his game. But the other school of thought is that he understands that that presenting like a really good teammate in Orlando is the best way to get paid either by this organization or another, and that he's going to prove that, hey, I'm an impact player regardless of role. Um, I, I, I worry that maybe you don't get fully bought in Hassan Whiteside, but I'm willing to believe that because it's such a short window and because the games are so meaningful that they can maximize what they get out of them. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Damian Lillard, we sort of know what we're going to get from him. I think he's going to be a top five fantasy player in in this restart. Whiteside's value from where it was uh, for the season is going to drop. CJ, pretty similar. Nurkic, I wouldn't overreact to him being back. I don't think he's playing those 30 minutes. But let's talk about Mello because he was a guy that so many people were excited to see come back at the start of the season and people were adding him all over fantasy. But I think it it is necessary to mention that after that pretty strong start in those first couple of games, it did tail off a little bit for Carmelo Anthony. So you're someone who watched every game of his Portland career. What would you make of the entire Carmelo Anthony experience so far? You know, they let him do what he does. Like they don't, they don't ask him to do crazy things. They let Melo isolate on the block and go to work. So they really play to his strengths. That does hurt him a little bit fancy wise because he doesn't like to pass and he takes some difficult shots. So he's not going to exactly fill out the stat sheet, but I, I do think they he's going to get his opportunities and i don't think that's going to change too much i do think he'll the way they they structured it before the hiatus was that he came out early and then came back with the second unit to kind of be an offensive fulcrum with the against bench units and i anticipate something pretty similar to that uh this time so i if you were interested if you liked mellow's production in february you're gonna love it in august Interesting. Now, the last guy I want to touch on here is Gary Trent, who we know had really, really stepped up. And over his last 24 games, he was playing 28 minutes a night. He was scoring 12 points per game. He was doing very little else apart from that, but he was scoring. He was doing it really efficiently through shooting at 58% over those last couple of months before the season shut down. So he took that step forward that many people thought Anthony Simons would take forward. And you mentioned already at the top here that Trent would be playing a pretty large chunk of minutes. So he's pretty much got that sixth man role locked in at the moment. Yeah, I think he's. I think there's a lock, like a seven-man rotation. That's an absolute lock for the Blazers. The starters plus Whiteside and Trent off the bench. Yep. Like I think th- that's you can lock it down. Don't worry about those dudes. All of them are playing twenty-plus minutes. Um, and Trent Jr. is going to play a bunch because he might be their best perimeter defender. Uh, that's that's a dicey thing to say for a team trying to make the playoffs, but I think it's true. Um, he's a competitive defender. He's someone who's interested in playing defense, and I think that's important. He's not super long, but he can 
he does the right things to fit in next to Damon CJ. He spaces the floor. Like you say, he doesn't do much. He just shoots 38, 39% from three and stands still a lot. Takes like one dribble pull-ups. So he can play a lot of minutes next to their best players. And he might be able to play a lot of minutes uh, in closing time, crunch time lineups, which might up his value a little bit. Yeah, so there is you know, marginal value, I think, in Trent for terms of fantasy restart leagues, but it's behind guys like Mello and Collins, Nurkic, McCollum, Whiteside, Lillard in terms of the uh, Portland fantasy pecking order. It's probably not going to be too much of a factor because, as I said, he probably does need a large usage and large large minutes to be a fantasy contributor because really all he's doing is scoring and hitting threes, not doing too much else there. Last thing from you, Mike, do you think that this Portland team, with the way they are constructed with yeah, playing super big, Mallow at the three, uh, no Trevor Ariza, Trent is their best wing defender, can they force a play-in game? Yes, I think I think it's very likely that they force a play-in game. Um, a lot hinges on game one. They play Memphis in game one um, in Orlando. If they win that game, I really, really like their chances. If they lose that game, I probably swing hard the other way start to get a little bit worried about him. But yeah, I think they can. Um, the De'Aaron Fox injury to the Kings really puts, is a big question mark for Sacramento, a team that's chasing the Blazers. We don't know what exactly the deal is will be with Zion and New Orleans. And is, is if you start crossing teams off that list, I think the Blazers have a very good chance to stay within four games of Memphis and force a playing game. All right, so we'll be watching this with uh, with interest, of course. There's a, a ton of interest on this team just with the amount of guys coming back and position changes, and Mike will have it covered for us all over on Locked On Blazers. Mike, thanks for jumping on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. When you're looking for parts for your car, why would you go to a local auto store where they don't have all the parts in stock? They have to go there, order the thing that you need, and most likely, they have different prices for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go straight to rockauto.com and get the parts that you need for your car at the cheapest price that you can find. There's so many different parts available that it's impossible for stores to have them, but rockauto.com has a huge library of car parts for whatever your car is, your daily driving car, your classic car, rockauto.com can get that sorted for you. Their catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate as well. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so the other team we're going to talk about today is the New Orleans Pelicans, and I'm joined by the host of Locked On Pelicans, Jake Madison, is here with me to talk about another team that's on the outside at the moment looking to, uh, at the very least, get that ninth spot for a play-in game. The Pelicans, three and a half games back from Memphis in the eight seed. Jake, do you think, let's start off with, do you think that they will be able to force that play-in game? Yeah, you know, I, I absolutely think they will. Um, whether they have Zion back for the start of the NBA's restart or not, I feel pretty confident in this team. You know, they're three and a half games back from Memphis right now. Uh, they get one game against Memphis during these final eight. That's a big one right there. And they've kind of beaten the brakes off of Memphis in the two that they'd already played. 
But this is a Pelican squad that has the only schedule that's under 500 with combined opponents winning percentage. And I think that makes things a whole lot better. All they need to do to get into that ninth spot basically is finish with the same record as Memphis and get one more win than the Portland Trailblazers. Portland's got a tough schedule. New Orleans doesn't. They're you know, maybe most difficult game in terms of scheduling was going to be on the second night of a back-to-back against the Washington Wizards, and there's no Bradley Beal there. So when you look at these final eight games and how easy it is, six and two is something that's very realistic for New Orleans, which I should, uh, which I think would get them into the ninth spot. Now, that means that if they were going to get into the playoffs, they'd have to beat Memphis five times this season, go five and zero oh against them. That's not easy to do. But if you've gotten Zion back, you've got the full group of guys here healthy, I feel pretty confident that New Orleans could do it. Yeah, I think that they have to be considered at least the favorite to get into that ninth spot, if not the eighth seed. I just talked to Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about the Blazers, and he thinks that the Blazers can get that ninth seed. But you're right, the schedule difference is massive there. They both sit in the same spot at the moment. Portland's schedule has gotten significantly harder. The Pelicans was already easy beforehand, and they've maintained an easy schedule. So it's not like they're getting a free ride here. Their schedule was by far the easiest anyway in the, uh, the regular season that is no more. So they do have that advantage. But you touched on it already. Zion Williamson, uh, where are we at with him? Because he did have to leave the Orlando bubble to tend to a family situation. Have we had any updates on that at this point? No, unfortunately, we have not just yet. And when Alvin Gentry spoke to the media just the other day, he said he hasn't spoken to Zion since Zion left the NBA's bubble. So obviously, if he can make it back, um, maybe by Tuesday, he should be potentially, depending on the testing and things he's done outside of the bubble, be ready to go. The Pelicans are going to give him the space and time that he needs when it comes to you know family matters, and they've described it as an urgent family medical emergency. I don't think they're trying to rush him back, and they just want to do whatever's right for him and get him there. But don't forget, this Pelicans team was playing good basketball before Zion even came back. I think they had gone something like, I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, though, like 10-5 and five leading up to his return. So it was a team that was starting to turn some things around, led largely by Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball playing his best basketball of the season. So they think they can hold it now until Zion, or till, till Zion comes back. They'd like to have him for the start, but I think they think they can weather the storm for maybe those opening games against the Jazz and the Clippers, which who knows what those are really going to look like. Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as to say that they were playing better without Zion, but fitting him back in was an adjustment when he did restart the season. And without Zion playing, it enabled guys like Derek Favors to play more minutes, which is a real solid defensive uh, backbone of this team. And I think that helped there too, rather than going for more of the Nicola Melli minutes, which is the way Gentry seemed to run when Zion was out there. So it it is, is not a lost cause by any means. And you touched on Lonzo Ball, who was putting up ridiculous numbers. Now, in those games that we did see Zion play, we you talked about Brandon Ingram, and he's probably the favorite for most improved player this season. How did you see those two working together? Was there was there any concerns with how Ingram was fitting alongside Zion? His production seemed to drop a little bit there, but just from what you saw and any numbers you have there, but how did Ingram seem to look alongside Zion? Yeah, there's definitely going to be growing pains in a situation like that. You know, you've got to get Zion the ball. We've seen how good he is. That takes the ball out of Brandon Ingram's hands. That means his, you know, some of the counting numbers are going to drop. His points basically dropped about four per game or so from 24 to about 20, which not significant, but that definitely means things. But if you watch him out there, uh, his role kind of shifts a little bit too. He was less aggressive, less trying to get to the basket and score and drive and all of that and more focused on being kind of a spot-up threat. You need shooters around Zion. It's why you said uh, Gentry likes to see Nicolo Melli alongside Zion in the front court as opposed to Derek Favors. You just need court spacers for him. 
Ingram, who shot tremendously well from three this year, shooting close to 39%, ends up being more of a spot-up shooter, an outlet guy, uh, which maybe doesn't, you know, isn't a bad thing when you have a guy that's shooting close, you know, 39, 40% from deep. But he's better with the ball in his hands when he can kind of be that point forward. His assist numbers are good. He can pass the ball around and he can kind of score from anywhere. You know, they've only played really, you know, less than 19 games together. So I don't know how much we should read into it. And I think it's still them just trying to kind of figure some things out. But it's worth noting that the slight there's a slightly different role there for Ingram. But still putting up very good numbers. And I think as long as they're winning and they're doing well, I don't think he's going to be really uh, be very upset about the difference in things. You know, the interesting thing was, and Hannah, how much do we know this is real, but his true shooting did drop down. It was at only 55% during those minutes with Zion. And some of that, I think, is yeah, not having the ball in his hands as much and maybe a confidence thing and adjusting to that role in that area as well. And I think that's that's something to watch, that his production did drop somewhat uh, in that time alongside Zion. Now, we, we've talked about it already, but Lonzo Ball, for those of you, there's plenty of people out there still, and I don't know if they listen to this podcast, but there's plenty of people out there still that think Lonzo is a bust and he's, he can't do anything and he's not an NBA caliber starter, but he was absolutely right rolling in the last 20 or so games before the league shut down. Some of that was with with Zion. Some of that was without Zion as well. He was putting up really big numbers. Like how important was that level of play from Lonzo? Because I think it was almost one of the most important factors in that run that they were going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. This guy fits this team so unbelievably well. And he said, you know, it took him a little while to feel kind of comfortable here. He, it, it took him a couple of games and part of the season to kind of feel fully healthy. He said he hasn't been fully healthy almost at any point in his career. And over his first two seasons, he only played 99 games. There's some truth to all of that. So once he's got his legs under him and kind of developed a lot of chemistry with his teammates, you could see it paying off. He fits an Alvin Gentry style of offense perfectly. He wants to get out in transition and run, grab the rebound and go. That's where he's perfect. He's not great in the half court, but when you run as much as this Pelican squad does, it kind of minimizes the weaknesses he has and puts him in a position to succeed. And you saw that chemistry really develop, particularly with Zion. He, I think they have two or three basically 60-plus foot lobs this season. No other team, no other player combo has won uh, more than one like that. So the fact that they can kind of develop that chemistry and did that quickly makes them pretty difficult to contain. It, it's a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to see. The other thing is, he's is he a good three-point shooter now? Yeah, I don't I know if we're ready be. to exactly say that, but he's shooting thirty above 38% from three on pretty good volume to the point where if he's open and you get him the ball, I feel pretty happy about this. I watched a game last season when the Lakers played New Orleans where I think he went three for 15 from three. You used to want him to launch those threes. Now he's going to make you pay if you leave him open. Just being able to stay out there on the court in the half court and shoot threes and make them is a game changer for him because he doesn't drive, he doesn't attack enough. And it builds up his confidence, which is kind of the key to him. If he's feeling confident, he's an awesome, awesome basketball player. If that confidence isn't there, he's a bit of a shell of himself with his concern. But his confidence for the past two months before we hit this uh, hiatus point in the NBA was sky high. We talk about Ingram having this big step forward in efficiency. Over the last nine games of the season, Lonzo's true shooting was 61%. Ingram's was 53 
Like that is a big, big difference. And even if you look at the last 20 plus games or 20, 20 games, they were both at 57% true shooting. So both shooting at the same efficiency. Lonzo over his last 23 games is shooting at 42% from three on six and a half attempts per game, which is a huge volume and huge efficiency. And even his free throw somehow got up to 67% despite being under 46% for each of his first two seasons in the NBA. So he's made big strides. It has been a little bit lost this season that he has taken those steps forward in his shooting numbers. His true shooting has gone from 49 overall to 53, but that's back half of the season had taken it up to above NBA average numbers. So that is a really strong thing. And he was the 20th ranked player over the last three months in fantasy basketball. So there's a chance that both, uh, well, you can have Lonzo, Drew Holiday, and Ingram all in the top 20. At least in the top 30, uh, Ingram might slide depending on Zion's uh, position there. And even Zion, if he can get the defensive numbers cracking, along with the offensive efficiency, he could jump up there. So the Pelicans could be one of the best teams to target. And we know, Jake, that they are going to be going hard in pretty much every game here. Yeah, they don't have a choice. These are eight playoff games for him. Everyone refers to him as seeding games, other things like that. I think the Pelicans are looking at this as eight additional playoff games. And this was the team's goal to start the year. I don't think it was necessarily getting into the playoffs. That would have been Lanyap here in New Orleans for them. But it was just play meaningful games in March and April. So they didn't get to play meaningful games in March and April because of this. But now they're going to be playing meaningful games in July and August and hopefully on from that. And that's what they're looking for because they want to see these guys kind of grow in these pressure-filled minutes. And I think this kind of bodes well for the future if New Orleans does well over these eight games. And they were playing their best basketball, so they're looking to kind of carry some of that form over um, from mid-March until now. But you're right, you know, where we may see the Jazz or the Clippers kind of uh, go through these first two seeding games is almost preseason games, something like that. They might not take them all that seriously. The Pelicans are going to take those first two games unbelievably serious and the final six. They don't have a choice. Yeah, they have to. Now, with... Everyone you know, healthy, let's assume Zion's there. We meet minutes for Drew and Lonzo and Ingram and everyone ready to go. The sort of backup guard situation with Josh Hart and JJ Redick, they probably are going to get squeezed a little bit based on they're playing 27 and 26 minutes a game over the course of the season. Do you think that yeah, who's going to be the winner there? Is it going to be on a case-by-case basis? Or will Gentry just eliminate the last guy in the rotation, which is probably going to be Etuan Moore, get him out and just go with that really shallow sort of rotation of just an eight-man uh, lineup? So I think it'll be the opposite of that, at least based off what he said to start with his press conferences so far from the bubble. I think they're being very aware that injuries can occur during a time like this, particularly after four or five months off of basketball. And they are I I don't think you're going to see very many guys right off the bat playing 30 plus minutes per game right now. I think they're going to really kind of rely on some of the depth here. Josh Hart can fill a variety of roles from New Orleans. You'll see J.J. Redick absolutely be out there when they need more shooting and just some of that veteran presence on a very young team they're very high on each one more you know he's kind of been a good workhorse for them um if unspectacular for the past couple of seasons started basically a whole season out of position at small forward for new orleans so they like the versatility that they have with these different lineups so i would not expect to see a guy like drew holiday playing 36 plus minutes right off the bat closer to 30 which means other guys down the line are going to get more minutes. Now, if you have kind of a must-win game, maybe the one against Memphis, maybe those two against the Sacramento Kings, they might shore up that rotation and go a little bit shorter and play those guys heavy minutes. But I don't know if that's going to be the norm during all of this based on what Alvin Gentry said so far. All right, so that will be interesting to watch because, again, the Pelicans need to win these games, but if they do have a lot in hand, they are able to, are able to rest these some of these guys or at least limit what they do. Jake, you'll have it covered for us all over on Locked On Pelicans as things unfold. Thanks for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh.
And that will do it for another episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Don't forget, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Leave a comment down below. Tweet at me at redrock underscore beeble. And of course, a five-star review always is appreciated over on Apple Podcasts. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.